I am DJ Volkortsen, and uh, I am on staff here on maintenance, and I'm also interning with Pastor Jason's crew. I see you over there. Uh, they've asked me to read the scripture this morning, so if you would please stand. The parable of the Good Samaritan. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he sent him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him. Whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Now, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for the word this morning. And we just pray that you will have it touch our hearts and show us who our neighbors truly are. God, we pray over peace over Pastor Raphael as he comes up to teach us your definition on who our neighbor is. In your heavenly and glorious name, amen. Well done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Give him a hand. Come on. Thank you, DJ. See, that's a lot tougher and more difficult than you guys imagine. It's not as easy as it looks. Thank you so much, bud, for saying yes. All right, so before we get into the text, um, I want to celebrate a couple of things that God is doing here. First of all is to thank Carissa for the wonderful job she did last week. Amen. How many of you guys uh, remember Proscuneo? Yeah, how many of you can say Proscuneo, right? <laughs> yeah, but that is to prostrate ourselves before God. I find myself now constantly this past week saying this too is worship. Yes. So it was amazing. Something else that happened and you guys were part of it because it happened in this service last week was right after worship, right at when, when we were after we were done singing and I came right up here. Um, and you guys may have remember this. Then Pastor Mark comes up and, you know, I'm in the moment and he's tugging at me like a little kid. Like, what's going on? But then I lean over and he says, I sense God is saying that he wants to heal. Okay. You guys remember that? 
Yeah, and then a lot of you made your way up to this altars. And God was moving, touching people, and we had an amazing time. And I think it was, it was not only a, a visitation, but, but a, an impartation. And I was talking to someone on our, on our team, on our staff this week, and Cheryl Porter uh, shared something with me that I, I know I need to share with you today. If you guys would put Cheryl's picture up there real quick. So there's Cheryl. Um, Cheryl's the lady with the sunglasses, not the, not the baby girl with the water bottle. The, the baby's not on our staff. Um, so this is what Cheryl said. She communicated it to me. And I said, Cheryl, please send me an email because I want to share this with our family. So this is what she said. I had an anticipated routine surgery in July, but because of complications, my life here on earth was almost ended as I caught it twice and the crash cart was called to revive me. I remember crying out to Jesus, although I don't remember if it was verbally or not. But I didn't feel him there. Although I don't remember a lot about the 12 critical hours that included three surgeries in the week since then. When I was in church during worship time, some of the memory of the hospital experience would come to me to the point of tears and physical reaction of shaking. I didn't understand it because I really didn't didn't really remember much. And I certainly wasn't dwelling on it. Last Sunday, as we sang God of Miracles, which, again, that is a song that Morgan and the team just sang. It wasn't on the plans. But it was because of that word that that song came forward. And I even wanted Morgan to sing something else. But she says, no, God of Miracles. (laughs) So praise God. You know, to have a team that that is listening. So she said, last Sunday, as, as... as we say in God of miracles, the phrase, the dead, who, the God who brings the dead to life overwhelmed me. I felt God saying that is what I did for you because of my great love for you. I feel like now. I feel I feel like now that there have been a spiritual battle going on in, for my body and soul. But praise God, he has won. He is healing me emotionally, physically and spiritually. I want To encourage people to know that even in the worst of situations, when it doesn't feel like God is there with you, he is. And doing far more than you can imagine because of his great love for you. Praise God. Praise God. So what does that tell us? That tells us that we need to be listening, right? And we need to be completely open to where God is leading and what God is doing. And he is the one that brings the dead to life, right? Physically and spiritually speaking. So praise the Lord. So going to the Good Samaritan, right? So we, DJ just read Luke chapter 10. It's a very familiar passage to if you've been in church for any length of time. And what this parable what this passage of scripture is doing is bringing some explanation to some old testament commands some things that the jewish jewish knew very very well so one of those is found in the shama the shama is in deuteronomy chapter 6 verses 4 and 5 and let's read it together hear o israel the lord the lord our god the lord is one you shall love the lord your god with all your heart with all your soul and with all your might the Israelites knew this very, very well. They pray this. This was a daily prayer for them. 
Also, it brings up Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18, when the Lord says, you shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the son of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. The word here for love in both of these passages, it's not as we understand love. The word love here in Hebrew is ahava. And the word ahava is a lot more. There's a lot more to this word than just the love that we understand, that emotional love. The Hebrew dictionary says that most Hebrew words can be broken down to three, to a three consonant root word that contains the essence of the word's meaning. The root word ahava is aha. The term aha in Hebrew means to give. True ahava, true love, is more concerned about giving than receiving. Being the center of someone's attention is in love. A love isn't about getting some feeling or fix. Ahava is about giving devotion and time. Giving is the vehicle of love. Yahweh so loved the world that he gave ahava, his only son. Meaningful relationships have mutual giving. Love may focus on receiving, but ahava is all about giving. There is a difference. Considering that the Hebrew word ahava is not an emotion, but an action. It is not something that happens to you, but a condition that you create when you give. You don't fall in love. You give love. So the word ahava thus the concept that is the essence of what we're going to to discuss today and the hebrew hebrew people the israelites the jews they understood love the lord your god love your neighbor they understood that very very well so in this in this uh in this portion of scripture we have an interesting conversation that happens and we see a lawyer lawyer comes up and he's asking jesus a question the reasoning for his question was number one to try to catch jesus kind of catch him slipping if you will like we would say get him to get get to prove him to prove that he was a heretic that he has some other doctrine that it was not Jewish doctrine. That he was teaching something that was, was not what they held dear. We will call that something unbiblical, right? And he also wanted to justify himself. He wanted to prove how much he knew. So the lawyer comes to Jesus and he asks him uh, uh, the first question. He says, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus responds, and Jesus did not respond with the answer to that question. Jesus answers with another question. And Jesus says, what does the law say and how do you read it? Very important. Some translation says, what does the law, what does the law say and how do you interpret it? This is very, very important here because, see, Jesus is not interested in does the man know the law, but how does you, how did you interpret that law? See, the law in that time should change the way you live. It's kind of like the way that the Bible should be translated into our everyday life, right? It should move us to action. 
the Bible as we read it. To read it is fantastic, but actually what God wants us to do is to take his word and apply it to our everyday common life, right? And that's what Jesus is saying here. How do you interpret it? Okay. So the lawyer asked the question and he answered it after Jesus says, how do you read it? What does the law say? This question of how do you, how do you, how do I inherit eternal life was a very common rabbinic question. Every one of those rabbis, they knew it. And you find it, you find Jesus answering this question in Mark chapter 12 and again in Mark, in Matthew 22. So it was a very common question. And here in Matthew 22, 37 and 40, we're going to read real quick of how Jesus responded to this question in another one of these accounts. When, when the person was asking him, how do I inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest command, commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. This right here is the key to the gospel message. So I want you to repeat it with me. Love God. Love my neighbor. Love God. Love my neighbor. Okay. Love the fact that that is clear. The lawyer answered the questions and then Jesus agrees with him because he answered it correctly. But the lawyer was after something else. He had a second question for Jesus. And his question was, who is my neighbor? So have you guys ever seen uh, someone or have you done it perhaps before? Maybe an interview on TV, a politician or, or, or an athlete or a musician, or maybe it is your spouse or yourself or your kid. Will you ask a leading question? When you ask a question that in reality you have no intention of receiving an answer to, oh, you really don't care much about what the answer to that one is. See, the lawyer was doing exactly that. It's kind of like me telling my, my, my son, hey, bud, what are you doing? And that's not the answer. That, I don't care about what the answer that he's going to say to that is. Because really, I just told him half an hour ago, hey, get off your, your Xbox. And I want to know, is that what you're doing? So that's why I ask, what are you doing? And this is what the lawyer is doing here. The lawyer is asking a leading question first. What must I do to inherit the kingdom of God? He knew that Jesus knew the answer to that one. But see, the second one is what he was getting at. Who is my neighbor? Why is this important? So why is this question so important? See, the Jews had a picture of who their neighbors were, right? He wanted to catch Jesus in heresy. Because their view was the Jews, other Jews, are my neighbor. And not just any good old Jew, but the Jews that were praying at the temple, the Jews that were offering sacrifices unto God, the Jews that were keeping the letter of the law. That's my neighbor. See, it is not about who is my neighbor. The question in reality was, why do you treat Samaritans with such a love and compassion? And why do you have dinner with sinners? That's the essence of what, who is my neighbor question. 
why do you do these things? And we see in Luke chapter 9, verse 52, that Jesus sent some disciples ahead of him to actually go and prepare his way into Samaria. But they didn't receive him, right? So they already knew that Jesus was looking at actually ministering to the Samaritans, right? And also we see in Luke chapter 5, verse 30, when he went and had dinner with the tax collectors, the worst of sinners, and those Pharisees were saying, why do you dine with such a scum? So that was the essence. They already seen that Jesus is displaying some things that they do not agree with. So Jesus hears this question, and instead of answering him directly, Jesus tells him the story. And Jesus goes to the story and says, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a priest was going down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, say, but a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was and he saw him and he had compassion. He went to him and bound, bound up his wounds, pouring an, on oil and wine. Then he set him on his animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of him. And whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. So see, this journey between Jerusalem and Jericho is about 17 miles. So you may say, well, it's not that bad. Some of you maybe ran, ran 17 miles this week, right? Not I. <laughs> but see, Jerusalem is about 2,700 feet above sea level. And Jericho is about 800 below sea level. So this was a very treacherous road. It was very narrow. It was, it was hilly, lots of hill places for people to hide. So each mile, it was about a 200 drop. So it's not a comfortable road. Like we think about it here. We also see that Jews and Samaritans, they have viewed um, each other as, as enemies, right? Against each other for a while. Jews viewed Samaritans as, as having questionable descent and also wrong theology. So Jesus highlights three individuals in this passage. He brings us the priest and a Levite, which both of them were very well respected in the community. But also he brings us the Samaritan who is not respected and well liked. It's important to, it's very important to know that perhaps the reason why the priest and the Levite moved to the other side of the road, perhaps it was because they were trying to keep the law of purity. See, they knew that they cannot touch a corpse. And they didn't know if this man was alive. I mean, the Bible says that they left them for dead. The robbers left this man for dead. So they're thinking, they could be thinking, well, if we go trying to help, then we will be considered unclean. In their theology, that's unacceptable because then you have to go through some rituals of cleansing. 
And you have to do this within seven days because then if you don't do it, then you, you can't enter the temple. You get segregated of, from the community. You can read all that in Leviticus chapter 19. But this is, I mean, Numbers chapter 19, but this is very, very serious to them. This is what's important. Once again, we are experiencing the struggle between this kingdom of men and the kingdom of God. This, this upside down kingdom that Jesus came to show us. The law of, pure, of, the law of love takes priority over the law of purity. The law of love takes priority over the law, the law of purity. It doesn't mean that the law of law is, 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 doesn't support the law of purity, but it takes priority. What's very interesting to me is that the Samaritans were considered to have wrong theology, correct? They, they, were, they, they were not Jewish. They did not have Yahweh as their God. But they had the wrong theology, but they were the one, but the Samaritan was the one that displayed a hava to the man that was in need. So as I was preparing for this message, I really sensed the Lord saying, Raphael, how many times in your life has your religion kept you from loving those around you? I want to ask that question to you because as God challenges me, I believe it's my duty and honor to challenge you. And I ask you, good news, church, how many times have you allowed your religion to keep you from loving those around you? See, Ahava is an action word. It means to give. And that is exactly what we see in this parable. That is exactly what this Samaritan did. He gave of his time. He was inconvenienced. He gave of his money, his resources. He put them on his own animal. That means that he had to walk the rest of the way. Right? He gave of his money. He paid the innkeeper and said, take care of him. He bandaged him up. Pretty sure the dude was all bloody. He probably got some of it on himself. But he gave. That's a hava. What if the church, what if we as the church displayed this kind of grace and compassion? See, this is the character of God. Deuteronomy chapter 4 verse 37 tells us so. Because see, when God loves he does something about it. So here in Deuteronomy 4.37 says, Because he loved your ancestors, because of he ahava your ancestors, he chose to bless their descendants, and he personally brought you out of Egypt with a great display of power. You know what he's saying to the Israelites here? He's saying, because I loved you, I delivered you. So because of my love, I did something, and I delivered you with such a great display of power. Because I love showing off. I want everybody to know that the power of God is for you. That I'm for you. 
God's ahava, his love, it's not a feeling. So much more than that is action. What if we as the church were known for this such extravagant love? See, I see some people that don't have a relationship with God. They actually display a have a kind of love for others better than we do. And they may not have a relationship with God, but they display that love. And what we like to do is then to judge that. Why are they doing that? What's their agenda? Mm-hmm. There's a reason why they're doing that. Heard somebody close to me say very recently, if you want to learn how to judge everything someone does, become a Christian. Ooh. Ouch. If you want to learn how to judge everything someone does, become a Christian. All I say, I didn't say amen because you can't say amen to that. You say, ouch. You know, um, perhaps you be, you're here today and, uh, and you've been judged by the church. And I ask you to forgive us. Forgive me for judging you. That's the heart of God for you and towards you. See, I feel like we have relegated love. We have relegated Ahava to Sunday mornings, but then judgment the rest of the week. And my prayer is that we take that love, that Ahava from Sunday, and we just ask God to help us sprinkle it to the rest of the week. I love God, and therefore, I love others. Just like he said, I loved you, and therefore, I gave my life. Anyway, you know, I really love how Jesus interacts with people who disagree with him. Jesus knew this guy was not trying to prove how righteous Jesus was or that he was the son of God or the Messiah. Jesus knew but I love how Jesus interacts with people that disagree with him. See, the guy comes and asks him a question. What should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, huh, what does the law say? And how do you interpret it? Then the guy gives him an answer. And he says, you have answered correctly. Go, go and, and do that. And you get eternal life. And said, no, wait, wait a minute. Who is my neighbor? And Jesus tells him a story. I love that. Jesus is teaching us something very important here. See, many times we want to tell people how they should feel. Many times we, as believers, want to tell people how they should act, how they should think, right? Jesus is not doing so here in this interaction with the lawyer. He is doing what I will call coaching 101. He's asking some very powerful questions, waiting for the response, and helping the man discover the answer for himself. Why is that so powerful? Because when you help somebody discover an answer for themselves, they're a lot more likely to follow through whatever needs to be done after that. But if I tell you how you should act and what you should do and what this means, then, okay, that's for you, perhaps. 
I believe that we all have a um, don't tell me what to do gene when we're born. <laughs> it's like, you can't tell me what to do. Uh, Pastor Jason may come in my office. Oh, Raphael, I say, you're crazy. You can't tell me what to do. <laughs> I know, right? How many of you have had toddlers at home, right? And if you're not, you know, it's like you ask, you ask a toddler, hey, honey, can you give me that toy? No. Say, you are not going to tell me what to do. I'm keeping this toy. I believe that we're born in that gene. And, you know, Jesus knows this. And when the man asks, who is my neighbor? Jesus tells him this story. And then we pick up the story towards the end. After Jesus now tells the man the story of the of the Samaritan. And in verse 36, Jesus then asked him, asked him another question. Which of these three do you think proved to be neighbor to the men who fell among the robbers? Very simple question. I gave you the story, gave you the three characters within the story. Now you tell me which one was the neighbor in this story. The man's response was amazing. I love it. And I'm going to tell you why I love it. The man answered, the lawyer answers, and said, the one who showed him mercy. The one who showed him mercy. He was so ticked off by this point that he didn't even want to say the Samaritan. He couldn't even say the Samaritan. It's like Jesus is sitting there. He just come with his questions. And Jesus is like, oh, let's have this conversation. And then at the end, he says, so who showed him mercy? He said, mm. Yeah, the, the one that showed mercy. He couldn't even say why. Because he couldn't fathom that he could learn something from a Samaritan. He couldn't fathom that this person with less than perfect lineage, that with less than perfect theology can teach him something. Jesus just flipped this script on this dude. I wonder how many lessons have we missed as the church and as individuals because of the source. How many lessons have we missed? Lessons that perhaps God himself wants to teach us. But because of the source, we dismiss them. Jesus, you mean you mean that you want me to learn? They don't even go to church. They don't even go to my church. They don't even speak in tongues. Mm -hmm. Look at their kids. They misbehave. You mean to tell me that you want me to learn from that individual? And he says, yes, I am. I am that I am. And I am the beginning and the end. The Alpha and the Omega, creator of all things. He says, yes, I am. I'm asking you to do exactly that. See, Jesus' final statement is the challenge. It was the challenge to the lawyer that day, and it is the challenge to every single one of us in here today. Jesus' challenge was, you go and do likewise. And that is the challenge today. What does that mean? You go and do likewise. See, Bob Goff, in his book, Everybody Always, 
Several of our staff is reading that book. They're loving it and they're just persecuting me to read it. And Bob Goff says this. He says, Jesus talked to his friends a lot about how we should identify ourselves. He said it wouldn't be by it wouldn't be what we said we believe or how good we hoped to do someday. Nope. He said we will identify ourselves simply by the way we loved people. It is tempting to think there is more to it, but there's not. Love isn't something we fall into. Love is someone we become. Love is not something we fall into. Love is someone we become. Mahatma Gandhi, you know, you guys may know who he is. Mahatma Gandhi was a humanitarian Buddhist, and he famously and sadly said these words. I like your Christ. I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. That breaks my heart. Because that's me. I'm a Christ follower. And see, when you were part of the family, there's the family name, right? If an Aristi goes and does something that they shouldn't do, it's not only that person, it's the family. And we're not just a body, we're a family. The family of God, the children of God. And when one of us goes and does something that brings shame to the name, it shouldn't be so. You guys took my, my clock off the front. You can't do that because we'd stay here all day. <laughs> Come on, I need to know where we're at. <laughs> so the challenge today is just the challenge as it was 2,000 plus years ago. You go and do likewise. So how do, how do I love my neighbor? You get inconvenienced. You give of your time, of your money, of your skills. In a practical way, you mow the lawn. You shovel their driveway. In a practical way, you pay for the groceries when you're behind them at the grocery store and they're annoying you because they're taking an hour of them coupons. In practical ways. You're inviting over to dinner. Not to the restaurant, to your house. You smile at them. And give them a good tip. When they're serving you. And you tell them that they're beautiful inside and out. Because God made them so. You give them a hug. You give them an encouraging word. What if we were known for this extravagant way of loving those around us that I have? How about inviting them to your driveway with a fire pit with hot chocolate, coffee, and a whole lot of candy for the kids on Halloween? Woo! We just touch a nerve. Isn't Halloween past of the day where we go to the basement and we hide out and turn all the lights off? 
Because hell is breaking out outside. Well, let me tell you, that's when the light needs to shine the brightest. And we're not hiding. Because as far as I'm concerned, Jesus did not hide. He was in heaven, enthroned in heaven, and he left his throne. And he came to Halloween, baby. Yes, he did. And he paid a great price for it. So who are we now to think that we're better than Christ? I love you. I really do. And everything that I'm telling you, uh, it was first told to me. So I'm challenged. And therefore, you'll be challenged. Can please stand. the values in our emanate youth ministry is engage your world what does that mean make a difference in the lives of those around you and i'm asking good news church engage your world with this ahava of god you know i understand there are people that are very unlovable they're not easy to love and i get it But you know what? I was one of those unlovable ones. And so were you. So were many of you. And I know that there's some of us in here that do not love. We don't love ourselves. We can't can't receive this kind of love. We can't give in this way, this kind of love, because we have never received it. So before we move any further, I want to know. Of anyone in this place that have not called and asked Jesus to forgive them of their sin and accepted God's love for their life. Let me see your hands, please. You want to receive the love of God. Salvation of God. Okay. Well, if any any time during this time that we're here praying you feel differently just come see me sitting up here I'm going to ask our I'm going to ask our altar workers to come forward but I'm going to please ask if there's many of you that will actually leave some room at these altars for people that maybe are feeling led to just talk to Jesus all by themselves. So if we leave some room, whether it's here or in the corners, that would be great. Just some room for people to pray by themselves. So here's the challenge. Who is my neighbor? Right? Identify those people around you. How will you love them? How will you demonstrate this Ahava kind of love? The challenge is go and do likewise. So I would challenge you this week, this week to step out of your comfort zone. 
this week, whether it's somebody that is a waitress or a waiter, or there's somebody that's with a sign asking for money in the corner, or whether it's the lady at, as a cashier at Walmart, whether it's your coworker that has been driving you insane for years, whoever it is, your children, your wife, your, 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 your husband, somebody that you have not displayed this kind of love, your neighbor, preferably it's not a family member, someone really close to you. But go and do likewise. Amen. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for your word. Thank you that your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. I thank you that you're penetrating our hearts and minds, Lord. Thank you, God, that you're faithful, that you first loved us. I pray for your people, oh God. I pray for people under the sound of my voice. I pray that you will encourage them as well as challenge them to go and do likewise. God, may they give of themselves. May they inconvenience themselves to share this kind of love. God, may we, your church, be, be identified as that bunch of people that just love people. Father, help us to do so. I pray blessing on this family and thank you in Jesus name. Amen. So if you feel you need prayer for any reason whatsoever, please come up here. You got this altar workers here and you can just find a place by yourself and pray. God bless you. We'll see you Wednesday night.